earliest childhood memory that I can think of is kind of an unusual one. My friends tell me I have a high sense of justice, um, whether that's dealing with umpires or um, car driving or sports teams. And, um, and so my earliest honest memory is of my sister was probably one. I was probably about three years old. I remember playing in our kitchen at home and I was playing, uh, we, uh, my sister was playing with this ball and I think it was either like a really hard plastic or some, I don't think it was glass, but it was a very hard ball. And um, I remember that my sister either dropped the ball or threw the ball and it made this really loud noise. And I remember my mom coming from you know, from wherever she was. I don't even know where she was, but I remember her coming from wherever she was, and I don't remember if she spanked my sister, but I do remember that she spanked me. Um, so I remember that, you know, it's like kind of in those days, moms just came in swatting, you know, and, um, and so whatever happened, I just remember just getting hit and crying and saying to my mom, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And, um, and, you know, now that I'm a parent, I kind of understand, you know, sometimes I come into referee fights with my own kids and it's like, you know what, y'all are both getting punished. I just don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care who did it. I don't care who started it. You're both getting punished. So now that I'm a parent, I'm a, I understand this a little better. Um, but I remember my mom, my mom's from Mexico and she said this uh, Mexican uh, thing that people often recite when someone has been hurt. It goes like this, sana, sana, colita de rana. Si no sanas hoy, sanarás mañana. And what that is, is translations, heal, heal, little tail of the frog. If you don't heal today, you'll heal tomorrow. Now, clearly, I've healed from the physical pain, but 40 years later, I'm bringing up this up in a sermon, so somehow I haven't healed from the experience completely. I'm sure there's some counselor that I could go to to sit on a couch to talk about that, but, um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that that's the experience that I remember. I remember that as my first experience, the, the first thing. I don't remember all the times my mom, you know, breastfed me or that all the times she woke up in the middle of the night for me or all those things, but I remember that experience. And as I've been interacting with various friends over social media and people that have called me, I think all of us are wrestling with experiences right now. I've had my African-American friends, I, I work at an African-American school, sharing with me their experiences. Their experiences of times when they've endured racism or prejudice or they've been followed in a store, they've been pulled over for something that they didn't do. And those experiences stick with us. I had a friend who's a police officer that called me and um, shared with me his experiences in law enforcement and some of the challenges he's experienced. And there are many things that we've experienced together these past several weeks, years, and centuries as a nation. And some of those images we cannot get out of our heads. So if a little rhyme doesn't heal us, what heals this? What brings hope in the midst of this? What gives us strength in the midst of all these challenges? Well, today we're going to look at what I consider to be one of the first incidents of injustice in the Bible, and that is the incidence of Abel being slain by Cain. As I said, I didn't request to uh, speak on this sermon. This uh, message found me. This was assigned to me several months ago by 
Pastor Joe Sanders. And what we're going to see are, are two elements of Abel's life that I think can encourage us today. The, the elements that we can look at is that God hears our cries and we can see that God, that faith is what helps us through these seasons. Let's take a look at these passages together. Hebrews eleven three through 4 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The key points I want us to get out of these passages of Hebrews 11, 3 through 4, and, and Jared did a great job of covering verse 3, so I won't spend a lot of time on it today, is that God speaks in the midst of all these circumstances. God spoke creation into existence from nothing. God spoke commendation over Abel, and God speaks through Abel's misfortune and death, verse 4. So let's take a look at verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Fruchtenbaum says this, Creation is something that must be accepted by faith, for no man was present to observe it. Moses was not present to record it. Not only is faith to be exercised in a future event which cannot be seen, not only is faith to be exercised in a present event which, cannot, which is not seen, but faith must be also exercised in a past event which was not seen. So Fruchtenbaum talks about this reality that um, in order to understand what happened in creation, we have to accept that by faith because we weren't there. And that's true not only of Christians, that's actually true of non-believers as well. They weren't there. So whether it's the Big Bang Theory or whether it's the theory of evolution... No one was there to see it. So whatever position you hold is actually a position that you're holding by faith. But the unique aspect of the Christian position is that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So we look back on this past creation and we say, only God. Only God could have done that. And he did that with a simple word. Bruchtenbaum says this, future things are made sure by faith, even as past things like creations must be, creation must be taken by faith. Philip Yancey says, faith is believing in advance would only make sense in reverse. We can often look back on our lives and see the um, pattern of God working through us individually or as a nation or as a world. We can see all these things, but oftentimes it requires faith to look forward and see the same thing that we see in the past. So my question for you today is, what time period do you need the most faith for? Your past, your present, or your future? What time period is it? Is it you're still recovering for something that happened in the past? Something that you don't understand why God allowed it? Is it something you're experiencing in the present? Is it a financial difficulty? Is it are we ever going to get back to life as normal after this coronavirus? Is it something that you see in our nation, in our, in, 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 among Christians, among others, whatever it is? Or is it your future? Is it that you fear for your children? Is it that you fear for your future finances? God may have provided for you enough today, but it's that long-term future. Will I ever be able to retire? Will, will, I, will, will my children be safe? Will they ever come, come to Christ or will they... Stay the walk with Christ. 
All of these elements of time require faith. But the good news is God has spoken over all of them. He has spoken over our past. He speaks in our present, and he's already told us what will happen in the future. And the good news is all of these things point to victory. Victory over the past. He's still reigning over the present, and we know that he's going to return and make things right in the future. Every cry for justice or whatever it is we have, we know will be re resolved when the one right king is reigning over this earth. So Abel is the first in this hall of faith. So in Hebrews 11, you get this hall of faith, and they were a group of people that modeled Hebrews 11 too. For by it, people of old received their commendation, which once again, Jared did a great job. It's kind of hard to follow him up this week. I don't have a cute kid to have a great illustration with. Um, well, I have a cute kid, but he's not here at <laughs> nine in the morning. Um, Deffenbaugh says this, Hebrews 11 is vitally important for today's reader because it spells out what living by faith really looks like in real time. As our author states in this chapter, these great men and women of faith continue to speak to us today long after their death. You know, we don't have to go very far to ask the questions of how can we survive this chaotic world? How can we be people of faith in this chaotic world? We have examples of people who lived by faith in this chaotic world. We have examples of people that um, persevered even in the midst of difficulties. Hebrews 11, 4a says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. The key to the approval of Abel, Abel's sacrifice is the faith with which he offered it. Abel, whatever the case is of why Abel's sacrifice was greater than Cain's, and we'll kind of talk about the options, the key reason why the sacrifice is greater is he did it by faith. He did it by faith. We can do all sorts of things in our life that are good things, but if they're not united with faith, it really profits nothing. Not only faith, but love. But if, if, if we can go to church, but if we're not doing it by faith, it profits us nothing. We can read our scriptures and, and, and give our kids great devotionals, but if it's not united by faith, it really means nothing. And so whatever was great about Abel's faith, the answer that we have for why it was better is he did it by faith. So some argue that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because he offered the best. Abel also bought, brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions as opposed to Cain, who brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So some argue that the reason that Abel's sacrifice was better is he, he brings his firstborn. That takes faith. You know, you might kind of think if you're Abel, well, let me wait till I have a hundred and I'll just bring the hundredth one. But he literally brings the firstborn, the, the most prized one, the one that's going to bring you the most possible progeny that's the one he brings which is also often the best and not only that the fat portions the the best part so Abel modeled faith because he gave great and sacrificed greatly Paul uh, I'm sorry Cain just brings an offering from the fruit of the ground 
There's no mention of the quality of it or anything like that. And so some argue that perhaps that was the reason why Abel's was better. Others believe that the key difference is Abel's was a blood sacrifice while Cain's was not. I take that position. I believe that Abel's was better because it was a better sacrifice. First of all, we see that Adam and Eve had already experienced the death of an animal for its skins that resulted from their, um, for, from their sin. So God already modeled what type of sacrifice that he wants. Here, Adam and Eve, their, their first sin comes, and God comes, and they're naked, and they think that's their problem, and he kills an animal to clothe their nakedness. So he provides a blood sacrifice to cover the consequences of their sin. From that, then, um, God gives this, points to this Genesis 3.15 seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of Satan. And then, and then Adam, by faith, trusts that Eve is going to be the mother of that seed, that she is going to be that one that is going to bring about that seed. And then we see in Genesis 4.1, that Eve calls her son Cain literally a God-man-child. I believe that Eve believed that Cain was going to be that seed. I believe she felt that this is going to be the one, this is going to be the one that's going to bring deliverance. So each of them appropriated faith to Genesis 3.15, and they had modeled what that looked like, or God had modeled for them what was necessary to cover their sin. Some say, well, we really don't get blood sacrificed until the Mosaic Law. And Noah, Noah sacrificed animals in Genesis 8.20, which predated the Mosaic Law. Um, and so there was animal sacrifice before. We also know Abraham had walked through um, you know, some animals that were sacrificed. And he went. that happened as well. God walked through and Abraham was sleeping. But the point of all of this is that it seems as though God had already set the standard for what was required. So the sacrifice required faith to conform to God's standard. And Cain thought, I don't need to follow God's standard. I'll just provide my own sacrifice. I will do it my way. And the reality is, is that in the midst of all this turmoil, there's a lot of people out there that want to do life their way. We want to approach God our way. But the gospel basically goes back to that Genesis 3.15 sacrifice and says, we are all sinners. All of us have committed sin, just like Adam and Eve and just like Cain. And there was sin even in Abel and Cain's heart, even in that present time. And we see that was manifested in Cain's actions of killing his brother. The only possible sacrifice for that is Jesus' finished work on the cross. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And the only way that... We can be made righteous, we, we can be considered acceptable to God is by trusting and faith accepting that sacrifice alone. That we can be the individuals that trust and receive that sacrifice. Two things I want to say about this. Um, one is, is that the gospel is the ultimate solution for everything we're going through. Now, I want to be hesitant because I think that's been used manipulatively to say we just have to share the gospel with people and things will take care of themselves. I don't believe that that's the true answer. 
We have to incarnate the gospel and live the consequences of the gospel. We have to walk in the fullness of the gospel. And so what that means is, is that we have to be the first to say, I have sinned. I have a part in the chaos that is happening today. And I'm not just speaking to Anglos or African Americans or Hispanics or Asians or men or women. We have to own our part in the chaos. It's very easy to point and say, these people are responsible for the chaos. But what the gospel tells us is, all of us have sinned. And these are not just sins of commission, where we've actually done something. These are sins of omission, where we've tolerated that which we know is not right. Where we've accepted things that we know do not glorify God. And so the gospel, if that's what we mean by the gospel is the ultimate solution, then that is the ultimate solution. But the first, accept, first step of that is acknowledging our sin. And that's not just for unbelievers, that's for us as believers. The second step is trusting that Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover that sin. Trusting in his blood. And then the third step is walking in faith of what repenting of that sin looks like. That aspect of the gospel is the solution for this issue. But if we're going to minimize that to say, we just need to preach the gospel to unbelievers and things are going to get better, that's been done through the history of our time and nothing has really changed. Things have gotten progressively better, but the reality is, is that has not changed. The second thing I will say about this is this. As I said, I have a high, I ha I have a high standard for justice, but as much as we cry out for justice, we also have to realize that what we really need is mercy. As much as I want to see in whatever side of these things we might be on, some people are crying out for justice for the police officers that have died as a result of this. Others are crying out for, for those African Americans or uh, minorities that have, have passed away as a result of this. Yes, I think it's biblical to seek justice, but we also must love mercy and we also must walk humbly with our God. Yes, we seek justice, but we also realize that we are a product of God's grace. And if we're not willing to walk humbly through this whole process, we will never get where God wants us to be. The next thing I will say is that Cain was the first hypocrite of the Bible. Cain's attitude towards God was simple. In effect, God pleaded with him to repent, to change his way of life, and to conquer sin. However, Cain is a contrast to Abel. Cain's only purpose here is because of Abel. In some way, Cain held back from God, perhaps in his heart, Thomas Lee says. Abel's offering was an unrestrained response to God, complete with lavish worship which pleased God. John tells us that Cain's works were evil, while those of Abel were righteous. So there are all sorts of issues with Cain's sacrifice. But not only does God speak into this, he speaks commendation over Abel, 4b, through which he was commended as righteous. Abel was declared righteous in the same way that we are. Those of us who had trusted in Jesus Christ, we are saints. We are fellow believers. We are people that have been declared righteous for God. Barclay says, the great heroes of the faith lived on the principle that they were approved by God. Each one of them refused what the world calls greatness and staked everything on God, and history proved them right. 
I pray that in the midst of all of the finger pointing and all of the anger and division, which I admit I have been a part of, I'm not saying I'm, I'm exempt from this. I pray that we will see our fellow brothers and sisters as righteous. That when we hear their story, rather than saying, oh, no, no, what you're saying really didn't happen, or let me just explain this to you, that we will see them as saints, and that we will mourn with them and listen to them. That we will listen to the various experiences and challenges as people process all that's going on today. Then it says, God commended him by accepting his gift. Zane Hodges says this, like Abel, the readers found acceptance before God on the basis of the better sacrifice of the new covenant. Their unbelieving brethren, which the Jewish believers were trying to please, like Cain, found no such divine approbation. So the issue in Hebrews that is going on is, is that these believers, in order to avoid persecution, are wanting to return to Old Testament sacrifices. They don't want to have to endure the rejection from the Jewish community. So even though they've trusted in Jesus in their heart, they're wanting to go back and offer these sacrifices. The author of Hebrews is saying God doesn't accept that type of sacrifice. And just like Abel, you yourself may have to die as part of the willingness to stand up for what is right. So our question today is what is the source of our acceptance? Are we basing our acceptance on what others think of us? Or are we willing to do what God has called us to do regardless of whether everyone else thinks it's right? Are we willing to be that person that stands up and that speaks in the midst of the chaos? 11.40 says this, And through his faith, though he died, Abel was the first martyr in the Bible. His name literally means vapor. Hevel literally means vapor, which means that God had given Eve a name that said his life is going to be short. I don't know how many of you have a kid named Vapor, but I don't think that's usually our first thought of a name when we think of having kids is I'm going to name my kid Vapor. Um, but that was literally the idea of what Abel's name was. And as soon as sin came, injustice and murder entered the world. Let us not forget that injustice is a reality. It's a, a fact of life. Good people die at the hands of evil people. However, what I want to be cautious about is just because it's a fact of life does not mean we shouldn't fight against it. Just because it's a reality we do, doesn't mean we should be silent, that we should not say anything. Both Enoch and Abel had faith with different results. Enoch was raptured while Abel was not. Results do not necessarily indicate the approval or disapproval of God. I want you to hear this clearly because it's interesting. Here you have Enoch in verse 5. I mean, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out that way. You know, Rich Mullins sang a song, when I leave I want to go out like Elijah. Man, Elijah, Enoch, take me home that way, Lord. Um, you know, I pray I never have to go to a family member's funeral. I just pray the rapture happens in my lifetime. Um, Enoch was a man of faith, and look at what happened to him. Great things happened. He never had to experience death. He goes straight up into the presence of God. Abel was also a man of faith. And the reality was Abel's life was much harder than Enoch's. 
Larry Crabb says in The Pressure's Off that we have to avoid linear thinking, which is, if I do A, I will get B. If I live a good life, then good things will happen to me. I think we have to avoid this message as a church. I think we have to avoid this message when we tell people, well, if you had just obeyed the cop, you wouldn't be dead today. I think we have to avoid this message as a church when we just say, okay, well, if you do this, then things will work out. Or all these things that are happening are a result of, of some imperfection. The reality is, is we live in a world where good people die. Whether that's a, a good police officer that served his life and, and did all these things, or that's Brianna Taylor sleeping in her apartment and she gets shot by a, a mistaken identification of her home. Good people die. And we can't always attribute it to some level of fault that this is the world we live in. And I'm not just talking about death. Some people have faith and their cancer is not healed. Some people have faith and their cancer spread. We've seen it in our own church. Some of the godliest people I know have either passed away or go to the doctor and they get a result in, and people have been praying for them. Not only do they have faith, but we as a community have been praying and saying, God, please heal this. And then we hear the results. On the other hand, we have people in our church who have come and said, God healed me. I was supposed to die. I was told I had this much time to live. And look, I'm healed. Was their faith better than the other person's faith? No. Was Abel's faith better than Enoch's or worse than Enoch's? No. Barclay says this, faith is the conviction of the Christian that is better to suffer with God than to prosper with the world. Sometimes we will have faith and we will suffer. Sometimes we will have faith and these things will happen. But this is the one thing that we cannot stop believing. God is still a rewarder. Despite the results of our faith, whether that's death or life, we must still believe God is a rewarder. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God will reward our faith in this life or the next. Abel did not see the benefits other than hearing the commendation of God. He did not see earthly benefits from his faith. In fact, his faith got him killed. However, he will experience that. So if you are struggling with some aspect, God, I've been believing you. You haven't fixed my finances. You haven't fixed my marriage. Don't let Satan convince you that he's not still a rewarder. Don't let Satan convince you that he doesn't reward faith. And you might be looking and say, yeah, but this person's living this way and you've blessed them. Yet I've been trying to do things right and you haven't. Do not doubt that God is a rewarder. Fruchtenbaum says this. He is still a witness of the life of faith seen by a three-stage progression. First, because he believed, he offered a better sacrifice. Second, because he offered a better sacrifice, it shows that he was righteous. Third, because he was righteous, he is a true witness of the life of faith. Abraham is a good example of worshiping in faith. Hebrews 11, 4 says this, And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This probably speaks of, the, uh, of Abel in Genesis 4, 4, instead of the crying out from his blood in Genesis 4, 10. Abel's life still speaks through the pages of Scripture. We know about Abel because God still commends his life. However, I also think by virtue of application that God hears the cries of the blood of the ground against injustice, and so should we. 
God is literally telling Cain, his blood is crying up to me from the ground. If God cares about that kind of a justice, how much more should we? And, you know, once again, I, I think that we can be on all sides of this. We can mourn for the injustice of a police officer that was protecting lives and was killed because of things. We can mourn the businessman that has lost his income, his life, his livelihood because of looting. But we can also mourn the cries of those who have died unjustly. And we don't have to take sides. We don't have to say, well, this one's injustice is worse than this. We can mourn all of those things. And perhaps that's part of the reason why we've lost our credibility in some of these things is because we've chosen, I'm going to mourn this one, but not that one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think God approves this one, but not that one. Barclay says this, when a man leaves this world, he leaves something in it. He may leave something which will grow and spread like a canker, or he may leave something fine which blossoms and flourishes without end. He leaves an influence of good or ill. Everyone, when he dies, still speaks. May God grant us to leave behind not a germ of evil, but a lovely thing in which the lives of those who will come afterwards will find blessing. Let me ask a question. How will your life speak after you're gone? How, what will our lives say in the lives of our children, in the lives of our family, in the lives of this world? How will our lives speak afterwards? What seeds are we planting of faith in the lives of others so that our lives will speak like Abel's did when we are gone? So what did we talk about today? We talked about, we spoke about how God spoke creation into existence from nothing. We spoke about how God spoke commendation over Abel. And we spoke about how God speaks through Abel's misfortune and death. I'd like to close with an illustration. I hope I'm not ruining this movie from you, but it's a clip of the movie I Still Believe. Um, and if you don't know about the life of Jeremy Camp, it's out there, so it's not like a cliffhanger type of movie. I mean, hopefully you know how it ends. But Jeremy goes to his dad and asks, and, and asks him how he can maintain his faith when so many difficult things have happened to him. Let's roll the clip. Dad. Ask you a question? Anything. I remember I prayed and prayed in this room for Josh to be born healthy. It didn't happen. And you prayed for so long for your ministry. Still nothing. Dad, I begged God to heal Melissa. What am I supposed to do with that? Are you asking if Josh's disabilities were disappointing? Yes, they are. Did I have big dreams that didn't come true? Sure. Do I understand why Melissa isn't here anymore? No, son, I don't. I'm 
sorry. But I know my life is full. I feel rich, and I'm proud of this family. Honestly, at the time, I didn't agree with what you did. I didn't understand it. You chose willingly to walk into the fire with her, right beside her, all the way to the end. But then, that's exactly what I would do for your mom and you boys. That's what love is. And I got to watch my son do that. For his wife. That was a privilege. I don't know the answers to your questions. But I do know this. That my life is not full in spite of the disappointments. It's full because of them. I'm proud of you. life is not full in spite of our circumstances. Our life is full because of our circumstances. And we don't know the answers to the wise. We don't know the answers to why bad things happen to good people in a case-by-case scenario, but we do know that you're a good God and that you are an omniscient God, therefore you know what's best for us. You're a loving God, therefore you want what's best for us. And you're a sovereign God, therefore you can do what's best for us. I pray that your gospel will transform our hearts. Not just of our past, but that your gospel will motivate our presence to make things different. And that your gospel will change the future trajectories of our lives, of our nation, and this world. 